but today's class I have to address is first of all the fact that you've all made the effort to come, which I think is sterling. Well done. One of the most difficult parts of ourselves, and this is a problem which it hits people at different times of their life, and it's almost something which is one of the things that people are persistently grappling with. And that is the notion of self-acceptance. And especially people that are striving spiritually to grow, they encounter this problem and sometimes their desire for we want to become better exacerbates the situation because they feel so much more so much worse. Self-acceptance is absolutely vital, crucial and necessary and in fact without it, without being openly capable of discussing with a very relaxed demeanor the many, many things which are wrong with you, advancement in spirituality is almost inaccessible. You have to be able to open admit that you are selfish, that you love food more than your children. Again, speaking for myself, that you are bone idle, and if you have an opportunity to be confronted with the effort of reaching out, and I've gone through this experience numerous times. I'm sitting, studying at a desk, and I need to take down a book from the shelf. So what I do is I, I look towards the shelf, and I see what I kind of have an estimate of my arm reach and the location of the book and then it appears as if the book is beyond my arm reach so what I'll do is I'll remain seated and stretch and I'm going for that book over there <laughs> and I can't get it so then I stop and I think now do I really need the book <laughs> there's somehow is there some way of me like avoiding using the book now obviously it's crucial for my study so I think to myself, what could I do? What could I do? I think to myself, maybe I can get it online. Then <laughs> 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 I realize I don't have a computer. <laughs> um, so, so I look again, and I kind of go another, another kind of... I think maybe it's because I haven't extended my left leg far enough. Maybe if I can only perch myself, I can... And then I, I don't do it. And often all that happens is I fall on the floor. <laughs> fall on the floor, get back on the chair and think, no, that's not going to work. And then think harder if I can actually get it. But if I would not be in love with the notion of laziness, I would go like this. There you go. Okay, that's of course the exception. Again. In the characteristic situation, that wouldn't occur. It would have been a, an extra two seconds worth. Well, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. I mean, it looks like a good laugh. So it's fascinating. It's fascinating that we have it. We have as part and parcel of our beings all these negative things. I know that the, 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 the trait of laziness is so absolutely insidious in me that I'll make these, these strange calculations. For example, if I have an overnight bag, I think to myself, 
okay I'm going to be opening this bag in approximately three hours perhaps if I can only get, I can get away with zipping it half closed because then I have to re-zip it and I'll save two 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 millisecond zips zipping it open zipping it closed. Oh, right. mm. let me try and then of course you do it and then half the things fall out <laughs> oh gosh but you'll do that the, the one of the classic examples was when you have a um, a variety of food that you have to transport to the table. I had this. I was carrying a yogurt and a bowl of cereal and I think it was a cup of tea. It was a cup of tea. So I thought to myself, okay, if I do this in two trips, I mean the table's a good six feet away. <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to be complicated. So what I'll do is I'll try, I'll try the elaborate balancing act. And uh, I gently and gingerly moved over towards the table and then I realized as, get, as I was getting closer that the tea that I was holding was extremely hot and it started to burn a small ring in my hand. And as the smell of burning flesh reached my nose, I made, I made the decision to... Ah! <laughs> threw the cup of tea on the floor, the yogurt was shattered everywhere and the cereal was spilled onto the table. But listen, it was worth the chance. I could have saved myself. I could have saved so, so without this awareness, without this awareness of all the different traits that you have, so really your self self working with yourself doesn't ever get the ground because you you actually you you blind yourself. But the question is, how can you live with yourself that way? That's the problem. You don't want to see that. You don't want to see that. You don't want to see that. You don't want to see your insecurities. Another one of my I've discussed this before. One of, one of my major issues, Mike. One of my major issues is that. I just want people to think I'm great. <laughs> and I, the context is as follows. I sometimes wonder if perhaps this, this caused me to choose the career that I have. Um, because if you think about it, to get guaranteed greatness is surround yourself with people who inevitably will know less than you. So even though you know very little, but in contrast, so what you do is you, you make sure that you have the ideal place in a beginner's yeshiva. You learn enough information that for beginners it's strange. And then you parade yourself and you say, I'm so knowledgeable. <laughs> Someone comes and they ask you and they say, so Rabbi, tell me, is it true that God gave the Torah? And you go, yes. <laughs> Knowledge. <laughs> Rabbi, is it true that the name of the greatest prophet was Moses? You go, <laughs> Moshe. <laughs> I'm so wise. <laughs> so uh, it's amazing. What a fantastic situation. Unbelievable. Just choose. So that's problematic. But, uh, but how can I live with myself? How in the world can I actually live with How can I live with myself when I'm just with this conglomeration of I just want everyone to think I'm great for no reason whatsoever. I'm bone idle. I love my food. I lo love. I think it was between you and me, Absalom. Believe me. The hamburger wins. <laughs> hamburger wins. The hamburger wins. How do I live with myself? How do I wake up in the morning smiley? I mean, wake up in the morning and then all of a sudden, you know the wake up in the morning situation. Wake up in the morning and then there's a snooze button. Wake up in the morning and you know that you have to be where you need to be at 8 o'clock and you know that you need an hour to get there and you have to wake up at 7 so you wake up at 7 the alarm rings and then you say to yourself 
you say to yourself, don't really need to be there late. Or you say, doesn't really take an hour. <laughs> and then you go through this whole, why? Because it's fun being horizontal. It's the only reason. So how do you live with yourself? How do you live with yourself? So I'm, I'm taking from a work here, which is called uh, The Kisoya Sabre Mikhelm. It's written by one of the great Musa giants, uh, a school of, of Jewish scholars that delved deep, deeply into what we'd call in the modern, in the modern vernacular to be psychology. They, they were fascinated by the study of self and they explored the different components of how a person understands who he is because unless you understand who you are you can't begin to address the issue of change if you don't properly grasp the mechanism of how the machine works someone comes to you and they say um, my watch is broken can you fix it? You say, no problem. You say, do you understand that watch is working? No. So what are you going to do? So this is an analogy. You'll say, well, <laughs> I really want to fix your watch. So they say, do you understand how it works? You say, hmm, I have no clue. I mean, this is kinetic. It's a beauty. Um, so you say, no, I don't. So will you fix it for me? Yes. How will you know how to fix it? because I really want to but the fact that you want to doesn't give you the knowledge of how to repair a broken object does it but I really want to give me a screwdriver it's not going to help you fix the watch it's not going to help you fix it but somehow in the area of change you say to a person uh, what's your issue son he says I just have massive issues of anger I say you have issues with anger? He goes, SHUT UP! I <laughs> said, <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so he said, I've got massive, massive. So, so I said, Well, what, do, what are you doing about it? So he said, Well, that's it. He says, I'm not getting angry anymore. He said, Really? He said, Absolutely. I said, and, and why not? He says, Because I really don't want to. So, uh -huh. so you get angry very easy, absolutely, the whole time. You get angry, leave me alone! So he says, yes, you, I get angry. So, well, what are you going to do about it? Well, I'm going to change. How are you going to change? <laughs> I'm not going to get angry anymore. And what you, what are you going to change? How are you going to fix the broken machine? No, but I really want to change. Okay, but there's something that's not working right. There's a mechanism that's malfunctioning, correct? <laughs> and then, again, the outburst. Um, but I want to, I, I want to, I want to. The want doesn't help. You can want, and you can want, and you can want, and you can try, and you can try, and you can try, and you can try again. And then we remember what the wise have told us. If at first you do not succeed, try, try, and try again, and you'll fail every time. <laughs> so how do you do it? Well, step number one is you have to know how the machine works. If you don't know how the machine works, so then all your good intentions and all your efforts will be in vain. Step number one is know the machine. See where it's broken and then understand how to fix it. If you don't do that, so you can't begin. Good. So let's start to understand the machine. The machine we're dealing with is a machine called man. It's extremely, extremely complex. There are a lot of delicate parts 
the way they connected and the way they work with one another is very very subtle and the type of things that it's almost sometimes it's such a complex mechanism that you may think it's functioning on optimum and really it's completely suboptimal in its operation but you won't know because it's so complex and sometimes you think that you're actually doing far less than you could and you're doing exactly what, and sometimes you think you're doing far more when really you're doing exactly what's right so therefore the concept of the understanding of how things operate is an absolute necessity before we go into the operating mechanisms let's go into the general idea the general idea that we began the topic with was how do I live carrying around the burden of the ugly parts of who I am? Not the facial parts. Though. Why are you laughing? Um, I've told you the... No, now's not the time. But... How do you do it? How do you walk around? It's heavy, it's cumbersome. So what we do, what do we do? We pretend they don't exist. We go into self-denial and we cover it up with self-esteem. And we say to ourselves, nah, the reason why the truth is I'm really a good person. I'm not lazy at all. I'm not lazy. I'm not lazy. Well, why don't you like to move from your couch? Why do you have a remote control? <laughs> no, again, that's got nothing to do with laziness. It's got to do with saving effort. <laughs> it's an effort-saving machine. It's not laziness. <laughs> it's amazing how the entire thrust of technology has begun with the premise. The premise is, we want to make you dead. <laughs> now, now, death is when you lose all activity you become completely passive inactive so how can we do that in the most comfortable possible way um, well let's put you in the most comfortable place where you won't want to move that's a good start but then what happens if you have to change the channel don't worry remote control but what happens if you have to tilt the angle of your head to see the screen don't worry it was plasma today it's until you don't even have to look but what happens but what happens if you actually have to go somewhere to buy the food that you need don't worry home deliveries and each stage of the ways how can we how can we imprison you so that you actually eventually just sit there and like a vegetable <laughs> long last <laughs> Life. <laughs> I've made it. <laughs> and if all the pity of people know that out there doing stuff, mm. never. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> the way you can carry around all your negative traits is accepting me personally you don't have any negative <laughs> okay sorry, sorry let's focus on me big boy come on maybe the way I carry around my negative traits is by accepting them you're very gracious you're very gracefully I'm saying it's and <laughs> beautiful it's a fantastic job except that I have positive traits too and that I'm a big conglomerate do you want you to just like spoil the whole share come and say I'm building this up. I've got another 20 minutes to fill. 
Okay, so here we go. So now you've got man. Now, this is fundamental principle. Man is distinguished from angels. He's distinct from angels. In other words, angel. I, I don't want to use the word angel because then the connotations of the word are very strong. To the mind's eye springs the vision of a naked two and a half year old with wings <laughs> flutting about. <laughs> Bizarre. Bizarre. It would be a fantastic poem costume. Like you take you know, a two year old and you give him wings. You try to get some type of mechanic wind up operation to get them to flap. But don't let's use the word angels. Let's use a more appropriate terminology. The difference between um, conduit of the will of the Creator where they have no interruption, they have no volition, they're compelled to do what they are told. It's called a malach, or sometimes translated as an angel. An angel is a being that is compelled to do it job doesn't have a choice it's done that's what an, an angel angel doesn't have a choice an angel uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of symbolism in terms of an angel's presentation angels are described as having one leg now just try to envision your mind a two and a half year old chubby <laughs> a baby face with wings and one leg <laughs> taper down at the bottom <laughs> So an angel has one leg. So obviously the metaphorical significance of that is as follows. A man is known as a walker. An angel is static. A man has got two legs. The fact that you have two legs means you have the capacity to put one in front of the other and then the back one in front of the front one and that's how you move. So the fact that you have two legs creates the capacity to move, to have movement. Movement is a crucial point of humanity. It means that you are not fixed. There's nothing static about our state. We always in flux. We always in flux. Now we have to explore the nature of that flux. Why is there movement and by an angel there's not? Well an angel is what we would call a robot. There's no volition, there's no struggle, there's no conflict. What is told will be done. So an angel is a being that has absolutely not even an element of resistance to the fulfillment of the higher will does. There's nothing that obstructs it. It just does. Ironically, that is a very low level of existence because there is no independence in terms of that existence. It's pure puppeteering and being a puppet. Man is different because man has resistance. You say, do this, he says, no, I will not. Or he says, yes, I will. But when he says, yes, I will, it's because there's a part of him which is, no, I will not. So the yes I will is a significant action because it moves against resistance. The principle in the natural world as within the spiritual world is resistance bespeaks growth. Imagine you go to the local gym 
and you have the intention of summer's coming up and you want to work on the deep refinement of your six pack located beneath the diaphragm and so you go to well maybe let's not focus on the six pecs let's work on the upper chest let's get those pecs moving so you go to you go to your gym instructor and you say to him yeah something extremely sophisticated and you I just want to so he says I'm glad you asked that question <laughs> so he takes you to a bench takes you to a bench and he says okay now what I want you to do is I want you to repeat this movement 30 times what will happen? very little if he then gives you a bar which weighs 10 kilograms something will start happening if he then puts weights on either side each weighing 50 kilograms you'll suffocate yourself <laughs> assuming that you have the strength to lift it what will happen is the harder the weight the greater resistance the more strength is required to overcome it in the process of that strength the, the, the strength which is required to overcome the obstacle of the resistance <coughs> creates muscular power you become stronger you cannot become strong when there's no resistance you cannot grow when there's no resistance you cannot build when there's no resistance so therefore man is created with internal resistance he's created given an option of the path of growth <coughs> or the path of stagnation but the stagnation that he will gravitate towards is not a real inactivity it's an activity because there's something inside pushing him down and in order for him to overcome it he has to push over it hmm it's a good move that it's a shinny move um, in fact it can easily be compared at this point in time to some basic tai chi moves I think it's important to be able to combine and this is very important when, you, when you're describing the struggle the, the way the struggle between good and evil is personified or actualized is always in the ring when you have two real life opponents then you can see you always have to illustrate things in a tangible form so if you'd like to describe the fight you need two people fighting now there are different ways of fighting you can use primitive Western arts of fighting, like boxing, something silly like a Japanese martial art, karate, or you can be super sophisticated and use something which really works. Tai Chi. <laughs> now, tai Chi is a lethal martial art. There's never been a person who knows Tai Chi that's been defeated by a geriatric mugger. <laughs> never. A geriatric mugger. Someone who's very old can't move very fast. When they come to, Aaron, I'm going to take your money. Not a problem. But <laughs> so, say for example, have we, have we done the Tai Chi demonstration before? Yes. We have, no? Oh, uh, no, right here. Yeah. Well, uh, stand up. 
Okay, now, there's two ways of creating a combating situation. If you throw a punch with that hand, what I can do is I can push against the punch. The problem is there's tremendous wastage going on over here because there has to be two things in, in play. My strength has to be greater than the strength that is opposing mine and also I waste enormous amounts opposing the force that his fist is going in. So really, if I'm clever, what I'll do is he throws a punch and I'll take the force in the direction where it goes and then I'll trap him in an arm lock. Sorry. <laughs> now, he'll resist this by throwing his fist backwards in which I'll trap him in a double lock. Now, in... Thank you. Apologize. So now, in the world of Tai Chi, <laughs> in, the, in the world of Tai Chi, in the world of Tai Chi, the way that movement looks is like this. Now, what you're doing is as well. Not only are you using the force in the direction that he's going, but you actually you're not using any muscular force in your arms either, because your movement's coming from your center. So your center's located. You're solidly on the ground, and all I do is move my center, and then the hand follows. So even when I push him down and I use his force, I'm doing it with the least resistance possible. And then just following... Fascinating. That's how you have to fight. That's how you have to fight. In other words, when you fight, if you're trying to oppose head-on the resistance, it doesn't help. You have to have the ability to deal with the resistance in a clever way. But, let's go back. We began, again, with the idea that we have to be accepting of ourselves because that allows us insight into the mechanism called who we are. And if we kind of turn a blind eye to half of the people we are, so we can't get a proper under understanding of the working mechanism. So we have to be able to accept both good and bad inside of ourselves and deal with it, correct? How can we though? Isn't it difficult to schlep around all this evil stuff inside of myself? How can it be a light experience? So it depends. If you contrast man and angels, you notice that in order for man to be man, there is something which is a crucial component of who he is. In order for man to be man, he has to. He must have. It's imperative that he has a part of self which is evil. The minute you'd subtract that part from him, he would cease to be a man, he'd sink to the level of an angel. He'd descend to the level of an angel. Because without the resistance, his actions are meaningless. With the resistance, he becomes a growing individual. Are you following me? So ironically, the negative parts of self are those parts which create our humanity. An analogy can be given to a place far, far away where there lived a king in a great castle. The castle was fashioned, as you all know, from the most astonishingly beautiful arrangement of different types of the richest and deepest, most exquisite Italian marble. And it was structured in such a fashion that the facets of the castle caught the light of the sun and reflected it until the entire castle shimmered in the sun, the most upper spires being intersected by wispy clouds. If you come with me into the center of this castle, and to the throne room where the king did sit. And you see him there in his royal raiments, in majesty, sitting in his throne. And there's a discussion going on between him and one of his advisors. His advisor to the educational board 
of the kingdom. And they're having a discussion, and the man is saying, Your Majesty, come with me to see the school where they wear the very bright, bright, fluorescent, polka-dotted blazers. And Your Majesty, the Majesty of the King says, Oh, the pink, fluorescent, polka-dotted blazer school. Exactly, Your Majesty. Fine, I'll come with you. Let us go. And they get into the royal carriage and off they trot. And they get to the school and there's literally hundreds, hundreds of school children. I mean, the, the, the glaringness of the fluorescent pink is blinding. The polka dots are a murky color of some type of green. And there are all these people dressed in these horrid blazers. And the king says, why have you brought me to the school? He says, to teach a lesson, Your Majesty. What's a lesson? Oh, Master of Education. Wait and see what happens now. What happens now is the bell rings for the end of not only the day, but the final school year. He says, watch what they do with their blazers. The finishing class. <coughs> the hundred people who have just finished school rush out into the street and they take their blazers and 90 of the 100 take their blazers and within a split second of being in the school they rip the blazer off them they try to tear it up in the one small side of the road there's already a group they're putting them into a pile and lighting them and they're rejoicing, stamping and kicking him. They say, away with you, you putrid blazer. These years that I've worn you has been unpleasant and unnecessary. Fixa, pixa, wixa. And there are ten students who cast the blazers and they say, oh, glorious blazer, leave me not. The king says to the master of education, he says, tell me, sir, why are you showing me this? He says, Your Majesty, I want to teach you the nature of life. The nature of life? You brought me to the school to show me these people with these awful clothing to teach me the nature of life? Yes. How so? Your Majesty, look at how the people relate to what they have to bear with them. Do you agree that these blazers are clearly very, very, very grotesque? I agree. Do you agree that as a rule of the school they have to be wearing them? I agree. So therefore when does it become significant the fact that they're wearing these blazers? During the school term or only after the school has come to a close? Obviously only after the school is closed because then there's no longer a reason for them to wear them. Correct your majesty. And if when the reason for them wearing them has elapsed and they decide to hold on to them not wanting to let go of them how would you describe that sire that is pathetic that is disdainful that is grotesque like the blazers themselves exactly your majesty but what's the lesson the lesson your majesty is as follows we all wear those blazers 
in the school of life. It's part of us being part of the system. Those blazers, grotesque and ugly as they are, are the parts of us that we have to wear to be part of the human race. It's a natural prerequisite. We have to put them on, otherwise we can't join in the school. I understand. But what would happen if someone came up to you and he said, do you know what? I'm going to give you a way out. I'm going to metaphorically take off your blazer. I'm going to practically give you a way out to get rid of some evil part of self. I'll give you a way out. You'll be able to move beyond it. You'll be able to let go of it. You won't need to take it with you. There are two ways you could respond to that. The one way to respond to that is you could give me an opportunity to get rid of this horrible apparel. Tell me what it is! I'll do anything! Give it to me to discard this garment! Yes! Not this garment. <laughs> yes! But what happened if you went to the same person and you said, I have a way out for you. And he said, mm, No. He replied in the classic, some small continent in the southern hemisphere would. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, take it over I've just learned to open my mouth. Good job. Um, and he'd, he'd say, no, he says, I'm perfectly comfortable. So then that becomes disdainful. Your Majesty, we all played with different character faults and challenges. When someone comes up to you and he says, I have a way out for you in this area. If you respond towards him and you say, give me the opportunity, then the fact that you're wearing this ugly clothing has no bad reflection on yourself. On the contrary, you can walk around with it because you know it's not yours. You know, given the opportunity, you take it off in a second. You don't relate to it. You don't own it. It's something you have to wear to be in this world. And therefore, you can live with it quite happily because you realize it's not you and given an opportunity you'd get rid of it but if given the opportunity you say I want to hang on to all the negative parts of myself what you've done is you've said the reason why I'm wearing this blazer is not because the school requires it it's because I like its colors then you've slipped into the pathway of degradation so that's really a long-winded way of saying <laughs> that the way we can confront the so-called ugly parts of ourself is by having a desire for change. We don't have to change. Given the opportunity to change, we would. That already gives us a mechanism of coping with everything that we don't like about ourselves. Because that's just the nature of who we are. It's not good or bad, it just is. And therefore, provided given the opportunity, I would gladly get rid of the parts of myself which are not productive, which are destructive, which are harmful. Even though I have them right now, I don't look upon them as me. I look upon them as the necessary clothing I have to wear to be part of this nation. Yes, Kelman. Isn't that just a cop-out of saying, why should I even bother changing them? This is not me. I just the minute your sincerity of change dissipates, you then start to own the ugly apparel. It has to be sincere. It can't just be a cop-out. If it's a cop-out, then it's takashver.
Um, that's really step one. There's, n there's a further step, which actually says, not only this ugly blazer, a encumbrance that you carry around, in fact, it is the greatest asset you could ever own. But that's for, perhaps, a later stage. And with that, I think we should all put on our outer apparel. And though we long to cast it off, wear it in the interim with ease and comfort. Thank you. And goodbye.